0: see you all this morning here at uh, church. We want to welcome those who are joining us online as well. And I hope that uh, you all have already received a blessing from the music, uh, the time of of singing praises and worship to our God. And now as we open up the the word, um, just pray that the Lord would give us some guidance and, and direction and instruction. I hope my prayer is that the smallness of our numbers doesn't impact our worship. And uh, I know it's, it's sometimes easier to worship when you have a massive number of people. And you kind of feel a little bit more comfortable. Maybe your voice is not heard as much, or maybe you don't feel as you're as noticeable. Um, and then in a smaller crowd, you might feel like you kind of stand out. But my encouragement to you would be worship the Lord and uh, fully and freely. <coughs> and and just enjoy what he has done and, and the message that we are um, able to participate in or communicate to God through our singing, uh, uh, worshiping God in that way. And then the reading of God's word and the study of it as well. Let's, um, let's pray real quick and then we'll get into the study here this morning. Father, thank you so much for uh, the opportunity the privilege that you give us to come together each week and worship you while we're in a difficult challenging time where uh, there is fear um, really just saturating our culture Uh, it's difficult to to know um, what to do what not to do and uh, lord we just pray for your wisdom your guidance your discernment in each situation we pray that our faith would be strong that we would know Uh, embrace your sovereignty in these situations. Um, You give us confidence and boldness to live out uh, your word in these difficult times and um, pray your blessing upon this service this morning. Help me to say what needs to be said, to not say what doesn't need to be said, and um, may it be a benefit to your people here and and those who are at home listening uh, live stream. We love you, Lord, and uh, it's such a privilege to be a part of your family, to be considered children of God, and uh, we know that that's not on any any merit of our own, but uh, completely by your grace, and so we just want to say thank you for that, and pray your blessing upon this time. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So as we've been going through Hebrews, we came on chapter, uh, really chapter number eleven. The main emphasis of chapter number eleven is faith, and we know that faith is the um, is the journey that we take to to see God's to see God's promises fulfilled. Um, Everything that God gives us is based on grace. The Bible says, "For by grace you are saved." So grace is the foundation for everything that we have. It's all unmerited. It's all unearned. It's all undeserved. Um, everything that we have in this life that is good is a gift from God, and it's not something that we have uh, accomplished on our own. Uh, with that being said, there's a part of life that is built on faith, and, and faith is that journey that we, where we go from God giving us a gift or giving us a promise to the fulfillment of that gift or the fulfillment of that promise or the, the full appreciation of that gift or that promise, How do we go from point A to point Z, if you will, is uh, B, all the other letters in the middle, that's faith. That's how we walk, how we live by faith. Many of us, um, we know that salvation is through faith. We see that again in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But the Bible seems to imply that faith is more than just that which is the process through which we're saved, but it's also the process by which we live the Christian life. It is the means, if you will, by how we live for the Lord. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 10, at the end of Hebrews chapter number 10, I'm just going to read it to you in, in verse number 38, he says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And so in other words, those who are saved by faith will live by faith. And you'll, you'll notice that this is not a, a recommendation, um, it is an observation, It is an observation by God, the sovereign one, to say that those who are saved by faith will live by faith. It's it's a given. The Lord is not saying, he's not making a command here. He's not saying, yeah, you know, if if you're saved, it'd be a good idea to live by faith. He's saying that this is a part of the transformation that takes place in an individual's life when they become a follower of Christ i 've heard it been i 've heard it said before that lots of people want to claim to trust in Christ for eternal things but have a real hard time trusting in Christ for temporary things. Uh, I would suggest to you that uh, truly somebody trusting in Christ for eternal things that it won 't be difficult to trust in Christ for temporary things because that just seems like it 's bigger right and it seems like it 's more valuable and more important so he says here, my righteous ones will live by faith. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, but if he shrinks back, my soul will have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and and, and preserve their souls. So there are those who have a A sense of faith. They have maybe an expression of faith in their life, maybe even a season of faith in their life where they are living by faith, they're walking by faith, but ultimately they end up falling away from that faith. Hebrews chapter number six deals with that when it talks about people who have experienced all of these wonderful experiences through the ceremonies of the Old Testament. And there's a lot of things that you can experience through those ceremonies. There's a lot of things that you can experience through church. There's a lot of things that you can experience through worship music. There's a lot of things that you can experience in these these settings. But those, by experiencing those things, doesn't mean that you're saved. Does that that make sense? It's important that, that salvation isn't just the experience of these spiritual events, but it truly is something that is rooted in your heart. I think of the parable or the story that's given in Matthew twenty five of the of the ten virgins, right? And they're all going to the wedding, which is the picture of the the marriage supper of the lamb. They're all going to this wedding and five of them don't bring any oil with them or any enough oil with them. And in scripture, what does oil represent? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit, right? So in other words, and what what the what the they, they go to the other five who actually do have the Holy Spirit living within them. So I think the picture is this. The five who don't, they have these external experiences of the Holy Spirit, but not the internal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So what, is the, what do the five tell them when they come and say, hey, give us some of your oil? They tell them to go into the city and to buy their own oil. In other words, they're saying, go and have another experience. Go and get what's lacking. And it's not, it's not they're, they're never going to get what they need because what they need is, is only given by the Lord and it's, it's in them. It's not outside of them. What, what we do in worship, whether it be singing or preaching God's word, what we do in worship is not the essence of our salvation, it is a product of our salvation, it's not the foundation of our salvation. It's not the foundation. It shouldn't be that we have, to, we have to come to church on Sunday. I had to stop myself there to make sure that I'm saying the right thing. But really, honestly, it shouldn't be that we have to come to church on Sunday to feel peace in our hearts. Right? It shouldn't be that we have to sing to feel joy inside of us. That is a a product of what we have inside of us. So we do look forward to singing. We do look forward to coming to church. The issue is, is for many people, and especially the the Hebrew people that are being written to here, they found that as being foundational to their salvation. And so after a while, they would shrink back, and the Lord says um, they proved themselves ultimately to be unbelievers. And the Lord says, I have no pleasure in them. Hebrews 11, um, we went through it probably five weeks ago, explains what faith looks like. It, it's a really, truly the, the best, I think, biblical expression of, of what saving faith and, and life-giving faith really looks like. And so then we come to Hebrews 12, and Hebrews 12 is just an admonition to... to, to um, to mimic the faith of those people in Hebrews chapter number 11. That's really what it is. It's it's an encouragement for us to mimic the the guys and the women. Both both are mentioned in Hebrews 11. It's It's not a sexist passage of Scripture. It includes men and women living boldly for the Lord. And chapter number 12 is going to admonish us, is going to admonish them to live out that same faith. Um, to express that same faith that these people expressed. So the title of this morning's message, if you're taking notes, is How to Live by Faith. How to Live by Faith. And we're going to read verse 1 through 3 of Hebrews 12. Just follow along with me if you would. The Bible says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... who endures from sinners who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted or in other words this is consider all of this so that you don't quit so that you don't go backwards so that you don't forsake again going back to chapter number 10 so that you don't fall backwards so that you keep moving forwards forward. Now I want to build on these this, these three verses this morning. How do we live a life of faith? And there are four observations that I will give you. First of all, though, I want to give you two general observations from this text. Just these are these are these three verses, two general thoughts that will actually remain consistent throughout the remainder of this passage of scripture and really throughout the Bible. Number one is the life of faith is difficult, okay? When the Bible says in this passage of Scripture to to, um, run the race, okay, it says, um, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us and let us run the race. The word race here um, comes from the Greek word agon, which we get our English word agony from or agonize. Um, it's something that is difficult, something that is challenging. It, it, it implies, and you see it here in this context, you see it with the idea of running a race or competing. But the idea of the word is to, is to fight, to have a contest, or to have a conflict. And let me give you a couple other verses that help us understand it. Luke 13, verse 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter it, but will not be able. able. This is the actually the same word there, strive. It means to agonize. It's, it's the verb tense of this same uh, uh, noun. It's to, it's to actually experience the agony of entering into the narrow gate. It's a picture. If you can picture it this way, have you, have you ever gone through a, a tight, narrow passageway before? Anybody ever been through, maybe you've been out hiking and you're like, oh my goodness, and you're like squeezing everything in and you're like trying to be taller and you're just trying to squeeze through there and, and, and you're just really agonizing to get through that tight little entry. That's the picture here. Matthew gives us the picture when he describes it in his, in his um, uh, the parallel passage, he describes it as being that there are these forces that are pushing on these gates. If you can just picture, you know, two huge pillars, right? And there are these forces that are pushing on these pillars, trying to cause the the gateway to completely collapse, right? You guys have seen like, and we were watching, um, uh, what's that movie? We were watching the other day, Jurassic Park, right? And the gates shutting, and the guy's just like running as fast as he can, and at the last minute, he dives through those right between the middle, and then the, and then the. Um, Dinosaur goes through too and gets them, but um, no, I don't think he got them. But you, you get the picture. It's that, it's that agonizing, that that difficulty, that challenge to get into that gate, and and the reason for it is, is that it is it, there is so there are so many forces from the outside that want to close that gate that gate to eternal life, there's so many demonic and evil forces. The forces of this world, the forces of Satan, and the forces of the flesh are all pressing in on us. They're all pressing in on that gate and they want to close it. This is why the Bible says that you can't carry anything into the kingdom of God. You ever thought about that? Imagine if you're on a trip and you're coming to a very, you're on a hike and you're coming to a very narrow passageway, one of the first things that you have to do is take off all of your luggage, don't you? You say, you know something, you, I have to leave all of this behind in order to get through this narrow passageway, but I have to get through this narrow passageway. The scripture talks, talks about it's easier for a rich man, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, Because the needle's eye is so small that you cannot get through it. And the picture can also be the idea of leaving everything else off, taking everything else off and all of your luggage and all of your baggage and then then getting through. This is the idea of agonizing to get in. 1 Timothy 6.12 uses the same term to say fight. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Agonize to Fight. To, to, to truly strive to have... We think of it, man, we, here on, on one end of the spectrum, you're telling me just to trust and to have faith. On the other end of the spectrum, you're telling me to fight and strive. Listen to me, folks. It is difficult to have faith and to rest. You have to fight and strive for resting, right? Right? It's easy to get caught up into the the stress and the worry and the frustration and the fear of this life. That's easy, right? That's natural to us. You have to fight to rest in those moments. You have to fight to rest when the coronavirus is here, don't you? It's not easy. What's easy is worry. What's easy is fear. Fear. What's easy is frustration. What's easy is complaining and murmuring. What's easy is those things. You have to fight to rest. The life of faith is difficult. It's challenging. It's like fighting a fight. 1 Corinthians 9 compares the life of faith to boxing in a match. 1 and 2 Timothy compare it to fighting in a war. And all of the epistles compare the life of faith to a life of slavery. Slavery. And not in the sense of being in bondage as much as in the sense of it being difficult and challenging. It's not easy. So that's the first observation when he says, let us run the race. The race there is meant to imply difficulty. Now, remember this about the difficulty. It's not self-imposed difficulty. We're not weird, okay? We're not weird like we want to impose difficulty on ourselves because that seems like the Christian thing to do, right? No, that's not what we're talking about. There, there are true challenges to the Christian life. There are real challenges to the Christian life that are not self-imposed, but they're imposed by outside sources. We're not trying to close the gate, right? We're trying to open the gate, but there are outside forces seeking to close the gate. So just remember that. First observation is the life of faith is difficult. The second observation is the life of faith is purposeful. Look at what it says here. It says Run the race, um, let us run the race, within, let us run with endurance the race that is, what's the next three words there? That is set before us, right? Okay, so get, get a picture here of just setting out something. Like you, you guys, you ever have somebody over for dinner and you set out your fine china in front of them? You're, you're setting something out in front of those people. The implication here is the race that we're running in the Christian life has been set before us. Okay, it's not, I, 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 I wrote this down and I think it's probably valuable to say it, it's life is not accidental. Life is not full of accidents. We can, even the, even the whole thing that we're going through right now with the, with the uh, coronavirus, with the rioting, none of this stuff is Accidental. And none of this stuff is valueless. We, we can learn so much from it. We can be challenged in so many ways. It's not when things are easy that it's challenging to rest. It's when things are hard that it's challenging to rest. These are all, these are all purposeful. God has a, a, a purpose behind everything that happens in this world. He's either orchestrating it or allowing it. God doesn't orchestrate evil, but he allows evil with a purpose. He's not up in heaven wringing his hands, saying, I can't do anything about this. That is not our God. He has a reason, he has a purpose for allowing evil to take place, and he has a, he has a uh, I, I would call an I, I would call it a passive involvement in evil because he's allowing it, and an active involvement in everything that is good. I don't believe that there would be any good in the world at all outside of an active involvement by God. Nor do I believe that there would be any evil in the world outside of an active involvement by man, and a passive involvement by God. He has to allow it to happen. He could, as we know in Scripture and see on many occasions in Scripture, he could stop it. At the very thought of God right now, the coronavirus could be gone and all the rioting could be gone. Do you, do you believe that? So he must have a reason for letting it continue. And we can complain and murmur and try to figure that out, or we can just see what is God teaching us, what does God want us to know. The life of faith is difficult. The life of faith is purposeful. The same Greek word is used in Philippians 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm going to read verse 15 and 16. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I have been put here, I have been set out for the defense of the gospel. In other words, the apostle Paul is referring to his his calling. Why was he set there? We have been set in places and locations and jobs and positions for a reason. And and those those things are not accidental. So we see two general general thoughts. Now, four thoughts for uh, my sermon. I'm gonna work through these fairly quickly. We're just gonna unfold the text. And I just hope to encourage you in your life of faith, some things that will help you in your life of faith. Number one, is what motivates a life of faith? What motivates someone to live a life like, they, like we saw in Hebrews chapter number 11? What motivates someone to live that way? Here he gives us the answer. He says, therefore, referring back to chapter number 11, Because, or since, this is the term that causes us to understand that here's the because. Here's the reason why we should look back and live like they did. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. So the reason that he gives us right away is this gallery, he calls them a cloud of witnesses, which is a euphemism for the idea of a large crowd of people. I don't believe, and most theologians that deal with this passage of Scripture don't believe that it's limited just to the ones that are mentioned in chapter number 11, but it's referring to all of those who have lived life of, lives of faith and have gone on into eternity. <clears throat> most of them, including John MacArthur, would say that there is a sense in which those who have gone before us are watching down on us. And the picture here is the idea of running the race. And if you can picture kind of like a Colosseum type of a setting where they're all up, in the, all up in the stands and they're watching those who are running the race. Now, the uniqueness is some people will look at this and say, well, they're just, they're just people up in the stands. Well, there's something distinct about this that makes it a little bit different. Okay, The professionals are up in the stands watching us okay? It's a little bit different, because we we know what a spectator in the stands looks like, right? But this is like Michael Jordan sitting up in the stands watching me play basketball, right? These are the premier people up in the stands. These are the ones who have proven strong and solid and successful in the faith life, in faith living. These are those who have truly succeeded to please God even to the point you go back to Genesis 5 or Enoch walked with God and he was actually taken up he didn't even die these are the types of people that are sitting up in this in this stadium and they're watching down upon us as we live out this life of faith so th- this motivates us and, and I think two things that we see in these in this great cloud of witnesses. We see, number one, the idea of enthusiasm. Uh, You could call them like fans or cheerleaders, those who are cheering us on. There is a heavenly excitement. We see this in Acts chapter number, uh, I believe it's chapter 8 or chapter 7, the stoning of Stephen. And we see there's an excitement in heaven when somebody acts or lives a life of faith. When somebody truly um, functions in such a way that they're challenged in a great way, and they and they and they succeed in faith in what God has promised them and what God's character is, we see in Luke fifteen and verse seven that heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents, which is an act of faith. So we see it number one as enthusiasts. There are those who are in this stadium. Uh, uh, and they are enthusiastic about us living out our faith. They're cheering for us. They're, they're encouraging us. They're enthusiastic about what we're doing. I believe secondly, and probably more significantly, this is referring to people who are examples to us. F, F.F. Bruce says it this way. It is not so much that they are looking at us, okay, That would be the enthusiasm, right? They're looking at us, and they're seeing what we're doing, and they're cheering us on. It's not so much that they are looking at us, but more that we are looking to them. And he closes to that with encouragement, or for encouragement. He says in this passage, he says, since, therefore, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, and that little phrase is so important here, let us also, he's almost like saying, okay, because these guys have gone through it. Because you see what they've gone through, you've read it in chapter number 11, you've seen the struggles and the difficulties and the challenges, you've seen the victory that they've experienced in those moments. He says, therefore, let us also, or or in the same way, let us live life. We see those men in Hebrews 11 as the examples to us of how faith works. Faith works, doesn't it? Does faith work? We see Hebrews eleven saying that faith works, and he says story after story after story, saying that faith works. Faith works, and he says since you're surrounded by so many people that are examples of the fact that faith works, since we're surrounded by all of these examples, by all of these, by all of these success stories, if you will. Since we're surrounded by all these success stories, let us live life like they did. Let us mimic what they did. David proved to us that faith works against giants. Daniel proved to us that faith works against lions. Hebrew children proved to us that faith works against fire. Gideon proved to us that faith works against odds. Abraham proved to us that faith works against that which is natural, Sarah proved to us that faith works against that which is expected. Noah proved to us that faith works against the crowd. And Jesus proved to us that faith works against suffering. The reality is, is faith works. What what should motivate us to to live by faith is that we see all of these people and we see that it works. We have all these examples of amazing supernatural things happening built around people living by faith. One of the the unique things about the majority of the miracles in the New Testament is that the Lord often recognized their what? Before he healed them, what do you often recognize? Their faith. Your faith hath made you whole is not uncommon to the miracles in the New Testament. They're examples to us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be ye imitators of me as I am of Christ. So follow in my footsteps. In closing, of, of, of the first thought, um, motivation, what motivates us is just think about this. We serve the same God that they served. We serve the same God that David served. We serve the same God that Daniel served. We serve the same God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We serve the same God of all those people in Hebrews chapter number 11, right? Is that true or false? We're small. We can talk. It's true. It's true. We serve the same exact God. Matter of fact, he tells us in James 5, when talking about praying, he says, we we are just like Elijah was when he prayed for rain to come down, and it did. He prayed for rain to stop, and it did. And he says, and he's no different than we are. What motivates us to faith? It's, it's the examples that we have in God's word. It's those who have lived the life of faith and won. You know, we can see them on the other side now. That's what it's all about. Number two the methodology for a life of faith. Two things that he tells us to do in living out the life of faith are two methods that are important to living out the faith. Number one is you have to lay some things aside. He says, let us lay aside or set aside certain things. The, 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 the term here means to cast away. It's like a runner in a race who notices that he has weights on, right? You know, the guy running down, the, he's like, man, I still got my leg weights on. I'm gonna get these off, Right? He throws them, this is is about Christians, those who are in the race and they're running and they notice I got these leg weights on, boom, throw those things aside so that I can run fully for the Lord. He says there are some things that you need to lay aside, some things that you need to get rid of in your life and he uses the word weights here to begin with. There, There are two things that we need to get rid of if we're gonna live a life of faith. One is weights. These weights are things that encumber us. The word literally means something that is bulky or massive, things that are going to keep you from running well, things that are going to keep you from running fast, things that are going to keep you from persevering. These are weights. They're meant to slow you down. Remember this about these weights. They're not necessarily bad or harmful to you. They're not necessarily bad or harmful to you. They're just meant to slow you down. They're meant to keep you from being 100% effective for the Lord. And the devil is great at throwing these things onto us, and he will often say, well, there's nothing wrong with it. Have you ever heard somebody ever say that to you before? There's nothing wrong with it. Well, does that make it right? A weight is something that slows you down, weighs you down, diverts your attention, consumes your time, saps your energy, dampens your enthusiasm, and ultimately controls your life. And again, it's not good or bad. It's just simply something that keeps you from living the faith life. It keeps you from being 100% for the Lord. It's the runner with the weights on. It's the archer with dirty glasses or a bad angle. It's anything that keeps you from hitting the mark. I wrote down some things here just for practical thought. Entertainment is something that can weigh us down. Nothing wrong with it, but it can weigh us down. Amen? Sports is something that can weigh us down. Pleasure is something that can weigh us down. Fear is something that can weigh us down. In the context of what we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter number 12, ceremonialism is something that can weigh us down. Doing the "quote-unquote" expected right things can weigh you down from living a life of faith. That's what he's trying to get them to move away from. I don't think the apostle Paul is saying that these things are bad in and of himself. I think he's saying to them—not no, the apostle Paul, the author of this chat, of this book—is he saying that these things are weighing you down from living a life of faith? You got to let—you got to get rid of some of these things. So that you can run fast and work hard and accomplish things for the Lord. Ceremonialism, rest can be a weight. Work can be a weight. Being a workaholic can be a weight on your spiritual life. It's true, isn't it? Insecurities can be a weight. Fear can be a weight. Doubt can be a weight. Failure can be a weight. Success can be a weight. Temptation can be a weight. And these are just a few of the weights that we deal with. What does he say to do? What is the the mode in which we can live out the life of faith? We've got to cast these things aside. We've got to take these things off. Here's what the apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Man, I tell you, if somebody, if somebody who's written half of the Bible says one thing I do, let's stop and meditate on that for a moment. What he says, putting or forgetting those things which lie behind. You know what he's talking about? Everything. Successes, failures. The Apostle Paul is saying, stop focusing on yesterday and focus on what God has you to doing today. Yesterday will weigh you down for doing what God has for you to do today putting those things behind. And he says, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So that's weights that we're to put aside. The second thing that he says is we're to put sins aside. The word here means to miss the mark. It's something that's done that's not pleasing to God. Sins, remember this, weights are meant to slow you down or hinder you. Sins are meant to defeat and destroy you. This term is implying this is the actual competitor, okay? There are some things when you're in a race, right, you have leg weights on, that's a weight. It's something that you can very easily just cast aside and you can run faster, right? Then there are competitors. You can't, I mean, you can swerve into their lane and trip them, or, but really you're not supposed to do any of those things, right? You can't do anything about your competitors. They're out there. And their, their goal is to do What? Is their goal to slow you down? No, their goal is to defeat you. Their goal is to beat you whatever the cost it is. That's this idea here. The idea is, is not only do we have weights in our life that will keep us from being fast in our faith, but we also have competitors to our faith. Things that are in our life that are meant to keep us from living by faith. They're purposefully competitive against our life of faith. Luke twenty two thirty one 31 says, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. In other words, that he might steal all of your faith. And then he says in, chat, in verse 32, but I have prayed that your faith may not fail. 1 Peter 5:8 says be sober minded be watchful your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or destroy. If we're going to live a life of faith we have to cast aside the weights and we have to cast aside those things that are sinful. We have to get a focus on the goal of what we're here to do and run the race. I wrote down some things that might be helpful for you practically. Lust is something that will, that will defeat your faith. It's not going to slow your faith down. It's going to defeat your faith. Greed is something that will defeat your faith. Pride is something that will defeat your faith. Envy, idolatry, drunkenness, wrath, bitterness, drugs, and we can go on and on. These are things not meant to slow you down. They're meant to destroy you. They're meant to keep you from living a life that is focused on Christ and that is boldly lived out for Him. In the same way that Satan defeated Eve in the garden, He is working to defeat us through temptation and sin. He is never working for our good, but, whether, but rather He is always working to defeat and to destroy us. John 10 and verse 10, the Bible says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. It's his only goal. It's his only purpose. It's his only only hope is to defeat what God has set in place. There are some things that we have to let go of if we're going to live by faith. I'm gonna give you some uh, closing thoughts this morning um, to get your heart set on for next week. While we need to let go of some things, there's also some things that we need to embrace. He doesn't stop with, let go of these things. He's laid these things aside, but then he says, but run the race. There is an active living part of this, a living actively. And we'll look at what that looks like next week, to run the race, not just to run the race, but to run the race race to win While there are things that we need to cast aside because they're going to hinder us or defeat us, there are some things that we need to embrace. There are some things that we need to grab onto because they're going to help us in this race. We'll give you those next week. We'll look as well next week at the means of grace or the means of faith and how to live by it. And we'll see, the Bible says, looking unto Jesus. How do we how do we live a life of faith? We'll also see the model of a life of faith. Who is it that we can look to to see that will model that faith for us? So these are some things to look forward to for next week. But my encouragement to you is, man, start this week. Okay, listen, I'm in a race, right? And that race is agonizing. It's hard. It's challenging. The goal of the enemy is to destroy me and to defeat me. The goal of my Lord and Savior is to help me run the race well. This week, what we can say is, listen, I've got some things in my life that I can pinpoint right now. I know, I know, you guys all know, I know 100% that this is hindering my faith walk. I know it is. I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to deal with it. And deal with it. There's nothing, hearing, listen, hearing messages does nothing for us if we don't make some application. I got some things in my life. Every one of us in here has some things in your life right now that are, they're not destroying you, but they're just slowing you down. You know that you could do more for the Lord. You know that you could have a more spiritual mind. You know that you could have a more spiritual focus. You know that, but you also know what it is that's hindering that. You know I don't I can't I don't I don't know yours I know mine and I have my own But you know something let's do something about it I want to run well A guy gave me a book several years ago it was called Finishing Strong and uh, I haven't read it in a long time but I read it back then but the idea of it was I'm gonna ru- I want to run I want to run well and especially as my time gets closer to when it will be over I want to run well I want to run well so let's run well together let's pray Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word and um, for this encouragement, this admonition that uh, the author gives us to, to put aside some things in our lives, to lay some things aside because the road is difficult and challenging and if, if we have a bunch of baggage on, we're not going to get there. Um, it's it's going to be too cumbersome and, and there are some things in our life that we can let go of that will help us to run well reach that goal, that prize that you have promised. We pray that you'll help us to embrace this today. Bless us, Lord God, with your favor, your kindness, and your grace, and we give you the praise for it in Christ's name. Amen. Lord, bless you. Um, just a reminder, tonight is the women's Bible study is at six thirty, I believe six, 6 o'clock, and the men's Bible study is at seven thirty on Zoom. You're welcome to involve, be involved in that community groups throughout the week and then see you back next week. Lord bless you.